you just joined us tonight, we're in Hebrews chapter 4, and we are go- we've announced our theme to- for tonight, Come Boldly. Now, I thank God for the theme we've had of all this past year, at least to me personally. I thank God for the theme of only God, because we've just seen some things that God is doing that only God can do. And I think it's a good segue into this year's theme. Only God reminds us that without God, you can do nothing. We need God in every aspect of our life. And we realize tonight that only God can do certain things in us. And so as we come to Hebrews chapter 4, I, I, I want you to know that over, over the past several months, really, I prayed and wept over some things and asked God for discernment and wisdom. And constantly, God just kept bringing back to Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 4 and chapter 4, verse 16, continuously. And thinking about where 2021 is and all that's happening and uh, realizing that even as God put this in our heart, and I shared this with the staff back in September and October, that uh, I just kind of feel like regardless of whether there's a vaccine, regardless of what happens in our economy, regardless of what happens with our president, that the most important thing that needs to happen in 2021 is God, our church, and our, and our people need to be a people of prayer and embodying some of the things that God has us to do. I, I honestly, I could, I could probably preach 52 weeks next year on prayer and still not exhaust everything. And I have messages I plan to preach. I have a few that I've preached in the past that probably need to be preached again. I have some new ones I'm mulling on and praying over. I'm thinking about as we get through Isaiah, after I finish through the book of Isaiah, I'm going to preach on Sunday mornings. I'll preach through the book of Luke on Sunday morning. I'm thinking about after I get through 2 Corinthians, which I'll be into pretty soon on Wednesday nights, I may get into a couple more books or some character studies. I'm thinking about Sunday nights. As soon as we get through uh, First John, I may do I may preach through the Book of Esther, and then we're going to preach intermittently there, through there on, on some uh, different messages on prayer, a number of things like that. Our adult growth groups and our English department, actually all of our adult growth groups, are going to be doing a study on the life of Elijah starting this coming Sunday. We're going to kick it off with with just the messages on about twelve different messages on Elijah that I think will be very helpful to you. So we're looking forward to a lot of different things we'll be doing. Uh, some things I'll announce tonight as we preach through this passage of scripture that will help us as a church because honestly the most important thing about our church is our spiritual health now programs are important thank god for that and all those things and events are important but the most important thing about church is your spiritual health if we come to church and all we do is fill fill a space and we have an event and your life doesn't get changed we've wasted our time we've wasted our time we need to get serious about god and we not that we're not serious about god but we need to get serious about the things that are going to make an eternal difference in this world and so we're going to be looking at that tonight at this passage of scripture now I want you to notice some things. As I get through chapter 4, you had to, to be here listening to the service this morning, which I assume you did. But everything that is presented in chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews parallels the situation we are in in terms of just this pandemic and COVID and just how it's affected our economy and our churches and things. I mean, there's some, there's some very, very strong parallels we're going to see here. And, uh, you know... We're going to see some things here, but, you know, God, God is not a God that wants us stuck. I mean, I'm just convinced of the Bible. God is not a God who wants us stuck. God wants us in difficult situations so we can trust Him, so we can put our faith in Him, so we can learn how to pray. I say this all the time, and you'll hear this a lot this coming year. We need to pray like we're in a trial, or God's going to send us trials to teach us how to pray. We're going to, we have to pray like we're in the most difficult situation, like our back is against the wall, or God will put us in a situation where our back is against the wall so we learn how to pray. So we're going to see some parallels here. And so tonight, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're, I'm going to preach through Hebrews 4. We're going to, I'm going to give you an overview in the first two points of where, where, the, where the writer Paul was going. And then I'm going to announce, then I'm going to get into our theme in the third point, 
talk about our theme, spend a little bit of time on that. Then I'm going to get into finishing up the message tonight by telling you what to expect for 2021, what can we expect as a church, how we can be involved, and how the theme should, should, should touch every aspect of our church. Now, the first thing I want you to notice, notice in verses 1 to 9, we're back in chapter 4, notice in verses 9, we want to see the condition here, okay? This is the condition of the, situ- of the people that he's writing to, okay? So number one, I want you to write this down. We see a complacent people, a complacent people. Paul, I believe, was the writer of Hebrews. Now, I don't have time to get into all the reasons why I believe that, but I believe the signature of Paul is all over Hebrews. The audience he's writing to are Jewish believers. They're Judaistic. I mean, they're Jewish in terms of ethnicity, but they're saved. These Jewish believers have been affected by, by what we call Judaizer, by, by, by those Jews who were skeptical about the Christian faith. Now, you've got to bear in mind also, the time of the writing book of Hebrews, this was probably about 20 years after, the, after, the, after Jesus started the church, so it's about 20 years later. And so you have to bear in mind, these Judaizers were very skeptical and uh, using their influence to discourage Jewish believers who were not very strongly grounded in the faith or were easily moved by what they were hearing. And the end result was that these Jewish believers, you want to write this down, these Jewish believers were going through a state of spiritual decline. Now, to understand the book of Hebrews, Hebrews mentions for us from beginning in chapter 2 all the way to chapter 10, five stages of spiritual decline. Now, that's important for you to know. It's just like knowing uh, the symptoms to, to COVID or knowing the symptoms of a heart attack or stroke you need to know what are the signs of spiritual decline. You want to catch it before you get into stage five. When my wife got diagnosed with cancer many, many years ago, we started, I started paying attention to about staging and cancer. And of course, anytime I mention my first question, I run to somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer, the first question they want to know and I want to know is what stage are you in? And Hebrews mentions five different stages of spiritual decline that were very serious. Now, these people here, because of their situation, they became complacent. Now, complacency is when we become indifferent and we have an apathetic attitude about what goes on. Indifference is just like, okay, so what? No big deal. You know, it doesn't bother me. And, you know, it's kind of like COVID right now. We're just, you know, you, you see the numbers, but it's the numbers every day. You've been seeing it for nine months. It's like, it doesn't bother you anymore. So you just, you know, we just become complacent to that. And so, you know, it only touches us if someone we know has, has been affected by it there. But these people here, these were Jewish believers. They were people God loved. They were people that got to a great start. They were truly saved and born again. But the Judaizers were affecting their faith. They were telling things like, okay, like, uh, okay, we know that you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, but you need to go back to the Hebrew sacrifices. And you need to go back to the Hebrew ceremonies because you're not a complete Christian unless you do that. And they started casting questions about the deity of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's why the first three, four chapters, he's doing a comparison of Christ. He's showing the superiority of Jesus Christ over angels and the superiority of Jesus Christ over Moses and the superiority of Jesus Christ over Abraham and the superiority of Jesus Christ over the great of the, of the priesthood and all these things. So he had to demonstrate the, that. And the reason why we believe Paul is the writer, because Paul was, was a Pharisee and Paul was just very well acquainted with these things. And so when you look at that and the signature all over the book of Hebrews, everything indicates it could, it's the Apostle Paul, especially as we get to the end in chapter 13 there. So we get to chapter 4 here, excuse me, chapter, excuse me, go back to chapter 2. In chapter 2, he, he gives us a reference of one of the, of the first stage of spiritual decline. Notice chapter 2, verse 2, uh, verses 1 and 2. They were complacent, number one, because they were drifting from the Word. 
Now notice verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard. Now, everything that Paul was writing to them about, they already knew. They had heard it. One thing about the Bible is that, it, that, that passages and topics get preached over and over again. You should never get tired of hearing the Word of God preached. I need to hear an amen to that. You, need to, you should never get tired of hearing the Word of God preached. You should never get tired of the same passage being preached. Uh, Henry Moorhead preached John 3.16 over and over again. D.L. Moody went to some meetings that Henry Moorhead preached. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist. He heard, he heard Henry Moorhead preach on John 3.16 five consecutive nights. People got saved every night. Hordes of people got saved. People were weeping because he just could weave with eloquence John 3.16. And sometimes we think we need to hear a different twist. We need to hear a different angle. It's not that we need a different twist or different angle. We just need to be sensitive to the Word of God. And so we notice here in chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard. Now, what he's saying there is to us who've been around the Christian faith for a long period of time. He says, you better, you better pay attention to something you know about. You already know about this. We need to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard. Now notice this in verse 1. Lest at any time we should let them slip. Now Paul uses the word slip, which, which is a nautical term. Nautical means something dealing with something on the water. And it means this. Give the more earnest heed to the things which you've heard, otherwise it'll drift away. Imagine a little boy making a paper boat, a wooden boat that can float. He puts it on water, he puts a sail on it, and the breeze, there's a breeze blowing and the boat drifts away. He's saying, if you don't give earnest heed to what you hear, young person, if you don't pay attention to God's Word, Older person has been saved for a long time. You're just sitting there. You're wondering. You're sitting there with your legs crossed, your arms crossed. You're wondering. I wonder what the preacher is going to say tonight to, to to challenge me. If we're not very careful, we're going to start to drift. And one of the areas we're going to see we drift in is concerning the Word of God. So he said to them, "We need to give earnest heed to the things which we heard, lest at any time we should let them slip." These believers were drifting from the Word. Notice we go a little bit further. Look at chapter three, verse twelve. They became complacent because they were drifting from the Word. They became, drift, they became complacent because they were doubtful of the Word of God. Now notice what happens here. We, and I wish I had time to get into all of chapter 3 because it needs to be preached, but we don't have time. In chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Now I want to stop there. Unbelief in any of us. Is preface, it's prefaced as an evil heart of unbelief. It means we have become doubtful of God's promises. We've become doubtful of God's power. That's why as we understand this, as you, if you meditate on Hebrews chapter 3 a little bit and follow the, the, follow the, just kind of the direction where he's writing, that leads you right into Hebrews 11 where all of Hebrews 11 is about faith. The exercise of faith. That's why Hebrews 11.6 is a very pivotal verse. It says, without faith, 
it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Why is unbelief from an evil heart? Because you are doubting that God is able. You are doubting that God is. You are doubting God's power. He starts off in Hebrews 11.3 by talking about by faith we believe that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made by things which appear. So he talks about believing that God made the world. But we must believe that God is. We must believe that God is everlasting. We must believe that God is eternal. We must believe that God is. We must believe that God is. If we don't believe God is, you're not going to have answered prayer. I mean, that's the starting point right there is you must have faith. And so these believers he's writing to, he talks about their spiritual forefathers there, over there in the wilderness at time, when Moses led them in the wilderness. He talks about them having an evil heart of unbelief. Look at verse 13. He says, but exhort one another daily what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So he talks about them drifting. They were complacent people. Now, I said this this morning. I'm not going to beat it over the head again, but I said this morning, you know, this this whole COVID-19 situation, as you look at how the devil's working through this, because he's the prince of the power of the air, and he's the God of this world, he's using this pandemic to, to his benefit. I'm going to tell you something right now. As you look at it, the greatest effect is how it's affected Christians, how it's affected churches, and how it's affected our lives. Because if we're not, if we're not fervent about the Lord, and we're struggling in our faith, and, and we're struggling in our prayer time, and we're struggling in our witness, and we're struggling in those areas of our life, we need to be very honest with ourselves. We, as we enter 2021, if we've been complacent, and we haven't given the gospel out, and we're just, we're just kind of, uh, you know, push and go, push and go, and, you know, we're stop and go, stop and go. Listen, we're at a place right now, we need to kick things up, and we need to get things stirred up there. So, the first thing we see tonight is we see a complacent people. Now, he doesn't stop there. Notice chapter 4, verse 1. He says in chapter 4, he says, Now, let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left of us entering into, the, into his rest, any of you should come short of it. Now, he's concerned about people coming short of it. Now, as we read chapter 4, chapter 4 now transitions us to a place where God wants to encourage His people. God doesn't want His people drifting. God doesn't want His people doubtful. God doesn't want His people to fail. Hey, how many believe tonight God doesn't want you to fail? Amen? God wants you to succeed. God wants you to do well. God doesn't set you up for failure. See, people say the Christian life, our course is hard. There's nothing in life that's easy. Everything is, takes some work. and takes some, it, it challenges us. But we have to understand, God never set us up for failure. God did not save you to fail. God did not save you to fall backwards. God saved you so you can succeed. And so we get to chapter four, we have to remind ourselves that God is a God of love and God loves us. And God wrote chapter four to give us some word of encouragement. So that takes us to our second point. In our second point, we see a committed persuasion. Now he writes chapter four to give us a persuasion that we are persuaded about some things God wants us to do. Now we're going to see four things in chapter two, and I'm not going to spend a long time on it, but I do need to bring this out to you. Now this committed persuasion, Paul is writing here to saying, I understand you know, I've talked about two stages of, of two stages of, of, of decline, about drifting from the word and being doubtful of the word. But he says, we don't have to stay that way. And he says, I want to tell you some things God has done. So the first thing he tells us is a word of encouragement. He tells him chapter four, verse one. We need to have a focused perspective. He says, let us therefore fear. He says, now you have the example of the Old Testament believers. The Old Testament believers, those in the wilderness, they slipped, they slipped away from God. They doubted God. He talks about, he talks about how, he talks about here in, in, about the, in chapter 3, verse 7, about the day of temptation and, uh, and how they provoked the Lord in their hearts. And, uh, you know, they were there at Massa and Meribah. And they said, well, God can't give us water. And God, can't, God can't provide our need. But God gave them water from the rock. But they tempted God there. And so he reminded them about that. He said, now, you don't have to be there. And he says, now, for those of us here... 
first century Christians. He says, now, we need to have a heart of fear. We need to have a, a sense of reverence towards God. And so he says, lest any of us should fall short. Now, he talks about this rest here. And I alluded to it a little bit this morning, but let me give it, give it to you again. The rest that he's talking about here is not physical rest per se. He's not talking about spiritual rest. He's not talking physical, physical rest in that sense where we just kind of kick back and, you know, we relax and uh, we don't have to do anything. What he's talking about there is that the Jews, when they came out of Egypt, they had been in, foreign, in Egypt for 440 years and they spent a long period of time as slaves and in bondage. And they, they were living in the, in, the, in the city of Goshen over there. And basically they, they had no rights and, you know, they were, having, they were just under severe hardship. And then they were going through the wilderness and... The, you know, again, they doubted God. They wouldn't trust the Lord. And so they traveled there for 40 years. God took good care of them, but they traveled there for 40 years in the wilderness. And we said this this morning that the, the men who entered into that, into that uh, wilderness area there for 40 years, all the men except for Joshua, Caleb, and men, and men that were born during that time into the wilderness area, those, all the rest of them, they died in that, that time. Well, there was hardship there. And, uh, and they were just, you know, they, they, they had hardship there. And he says, well, it doesn't stop there because he says, now, the rest is claiming your spiritual inheritance. Every time you read in chapter 4 here about rest, it's talking about claiming your spiritual inheritance. Now for you and I, our spiritual inheritance for us is growing in the Word of God and uh, growing in the Word of God and learning to pray and seeing God answer our prayers and, and witnessing and, 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 and being victorious through our trials and having a victorious Christian life and overcoming temptations and growing in the faith and maturing and, and accepting the challenges God gives to us here. So he's, so he's telling these people, he says, now, I don't want you in verse chapter 4, verse 1, I don't want you to come short of your rest. God doesn't want you to come short of your inheritance. You know, the greatest tragedy for us when we get to heaven and we get before the, before the Bema seat judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, is realizing there was more of the Christian life to claim and we didn't claim it. And so Paul is writing here chapter 4, verse 1. He says, listen, I know you're busy. He says, I know you've got your goals. And he says, I know you've got all these things going on in your life and you've got things pulling you in different directions. And I empathize with it. As a pastor, I understand. We, back, back before COVID, our average church member that was a professional they, or, or, or maybe a contractor, they, they commuted a minimum of two to four hours a day. I mean, my heart goes out for some who had to commute to San Francisco and would spend an hour of one way going there. Or those going to the Silicon Valley area, they would have to commute for two hours one way. And whatever it be, some having to go up to the Stockton area, some having to go to Sacramento area. I mean, just they're spending about two to four hours of their day on the road. And then they'd come home, they spent their time at work, and, and, and they bring their work home, and they'd have to take care of their family and things. And my heart goes out for that. We understand that. But God is saying here in chapter 4, now listen, He understands all that, but don't lose your inheritance. Realize that you're, it's time to conquer the Jerichos and the AIs and all those cities there. There are places to claim. And once that happens, you're to take your spiritual inheritance. God wants you to get positioned. God wants you to get your roots in deep. And God doesn't want you just floating along the Christian life. God wants you to succeed. So 2021, God's reminding us that He wants us to claim our spiritual inheritance. Listen, our spiritual inheritance means we must have a focused perspective. Keep in mind, you need to make a living. You need to save your money. You need to pay down your debt. You need to take care of your family. All those things. Take in mind. Those things God knows about. But keep in mind the perspective, our focused perceptive perspective, which we need to look at everything from the islands of eternity. There's more Bible to read in 2021. There's more praying to do. There's more souls to be saved. There's more church attendance we must have. There's going to become a time we're going to get the church back all together again. And we may have more services, and that's a good thing. And we're going to get the church back together again. And we're going to see more souls saved. Somebody help me now with this. We're going to see more souls saved and seeing things. God do some things here. And we're going to pray for God to do some extraordinary things. 
things. But listen, we must have a focused perspective. He's telling us in verses 1 to 9 of chapter 4, there's more to the Christian life. Listen, there's more to be stuck at home trying to figure out what to do during COVID. Just get out of the house, grab a stack of tracks, put them at somebody's door, amen? Put them at the people's doors there. Think about co-workers and think about family members that need to get saved. There's more souls to be saved. There's more of Jesus that we need. We must have a focused perspective. That's number one. Number two. And now remember, he's persuaded that we must be committed to have a focused perspective. Number two, we must have a fervent performance. Now go to chapter 4, verse 11. Verses 1 and 9, he's just reminding us, keep the perspective. There's more to claim. You have an inheritance to go after. I want to challenge you this coming year, even though I'm not going to mention it later. I want to challenge you this coming year. Make 2021 your greatest Bible reading year. You know, it's a blessing to me. Every preacher that comes here that I invite to preach in our pulpit, you know what encourages me? Someone like Dr. Ouellette and Brother Davison. I remember Brother Ouellette coming here. He's been here, I think, uh, coming here consecutively, I think since 2006. 2005, thank you. 15 years. First thing he told me when I picked him up at the airport, SFO. We talked about Bible reading. You're a preacher, you better be prepared to talk about Bible reading. Amen, you know? He said, uh, Brother Fong, I read nine pages a day. I figured if I read nine pages a day, I'll get to the Bible four times. You know what he told me this year? Brother Fong, he says, I'm just, you know, I've got a little more time. I'm reading through the Bible nine times a year. You know what Brother Davison told me? He's reading through the Bible once a month. That's why he preaches the way he does. That's why his preaching's fresh. You know, there's a, there's a missionary, I'm not going to tell you his name, there's a missionary I know. I hope one day I can get him to come here. God burned his heart to go to Germany. Nobody would give him meetings. So he'd pull up to a church and he'd say, Hey, preacher, my name is Brother So-and-so. I'm trying to raise support. I need to schedule meetings. I'll tell you what I want to do. You don't have to put me up. You don't have to feed me anything. Whatever work you need to do around the church... I give you my whole week. I'll be here to do it if you just let me present my work just one time. That's what he did. I wish every missionary did that because it's expensive to have missionaries come here. You know what that man's doing now? He went to Germany 20 years ago. He's not reaching German-speaking people. He's reaching Muslims. God gave him insight. He saw the immigration of Muslims coming to Germany. God burned his heart for that. You know, you know what he does? He reads the Bible one to two times a month in English and in Greek as well, in the New Testament. That's what he does. 2021 ought to be a year that you take the book. I talked about sharp knives this morning. You ought to take the book and pull out, apply the sharp knife to your heart. Amen? Right? So look at chapter 4, verse 11. The second thing he gives is encouragement. Now, we're, we're, getting, we're getting to our main point. Just hold on with me, okay? He says, now, verse 11, he says, let us labor. Now, circle the word labor. I want to challenge you about the word labor. The word labor, many years ago I studied this word. It, it helped me. It challenged my faith. It is the Greek word spudazo. It is a very strong word. It is a very active word. It means to be diligent. It means to be intense. It means to be diligent. Write in your margin, your Bible there, 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. You know what the word study is? Spudazo. 
You're to labor in the word. That's why that's why Paul talked about in first Timothy five and and second Timothy two. He's telling a young pastor labor in the word. You're to labor in the word. Labor in the word means you're just not reading. You've got to work through the word of God. You've got to let God work. You're going to have to get to the place where your back is against the wall. You don't really know where to go unless God tells you where to go. You know, he's telling us here. Look at it. Look at it here. Okay. He's saying, look, here are people that, in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, they drifted from the Word. In chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, they were doubtful of the Word. So you know what? We've got to get back to the Word of God is what he's saying there. He says, look, we need to have a fervent performance. You know what he tells us here? He goes to chapter 4, verse 12. Now, if you read, if you just take chapter 4, verse 12 out by itself, you kind of look at it and say, well, he just kind of, God just kind of threw it there. God didn't throw it there. God had something in mind. He's saying, these are people that have, had drifted in their faith. Their faith had become weak. He says, you know what we need to do? We need to labor... We need to be diligent. He says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. In other words, he says, let's be diligent to pursue the things of the Christian faith, the walk of God, the spiritual inheritance that we have. He says, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now, here's what he says, correlation. If you're not, because he leads us in verse 12. He says, you will fall into the same example of unbelief as the Jews did in the wilderness if you don't, you're not diligent about the Christian faith. Listen, if you're just sitting there and you want to get entertained and you expect the pastor to give you some joke or something that's new that, that you haven't heard before, you're going to slip and fall. He said, you've got to be diligent about your faith. You've got to be diligent about your own Bible study. You've got to be diligent to search the Word of God and to it and to get deep into the word of God. So now he goes to chapter four, verse 12, and he says in verse 11, let us labor. And then we transition there and it fits just so well. He says, labor, why labor in what? The word of God, because verse 12 says, for the word of God is quick and powerful. You know what he's telling us here? We need to be diligent about God's word. We've got to be diligent about reading his word. We need to be diligent about memorizing his word. We need to be diligent about studying his word. Hey, I want to challenge every man that is watching this service tonight, every man to be challenged to get deep into the word of God and to let the word of God smite you and let, let the word of God so affect you that even, yet, even in the middle of a service, you get so convicted, you would drop on your knee like this and say, God, I'm convicted about what I am and who I am. Listen, remember there in John chapter 18, they were at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here comes Judas with all these men, and they and they they said they came up to Jesus, but they couldn't recognize him at night, and, and which is amazing because they were all holding lanterns, and they said we're looking for Jesus, and he basically said this. I'm paraphrasing. He said, "Well, I'm here. Here am I." Remember what the Bible says? They all fell down. You know, that's what it ought to be when Jesus speaks. We all fall down. Amen. We ought to fall down when he speaks to us. We ought to recognize the holy word of God that came off his lips. He is the living word of God. We need to be diligent about the word of God. Let me just say this. We must be in submission to the word of God. There are times we need to let God apply the word of God like Ehud did to the King Eglon. We need him to thrust the deepliness till the dirt comes out. We need to be in submission to God's word. We need to be sensitive to God's word. We need to be searched by God's word. Hebrews 4.13, look what it says. Hebrews 4.13 says, neither or any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We need God's word to search us. So we must be diligent. We must have a fervent performance. Listen, we cannot be lax about the word of God. If you're not doing this, get a notebook out of some kind as you read the scriptures. Take word by word, phrase by phrase, sentence by sentence, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and write it down. There are sometimes I'm for reading through the word of God, but I, I fear for many of us we read so quickly through the word of God, we're not letting the the word of God get into us and work at us. You need to stop. I was reading, I was reading Luke 23 this morning, and I was reading about how, how, the, how the, the, the two thieves on the cross, one of them says, you know, he said, well, you know, this man is just, 
but, but we're all receiving the same condemnation. And the Lord just started working my heart about that phrase, the same condemnation. I started reading through Luke 23 again. God started working on some other thoughts that, that I did, didn't jump out to me before. I mean, that's what the Word of God should do. It should jump out to you and work in your heart and cause you to be convicted about some things and get your mind stimulated and your heart stimulated about the Word of God. Why? Because we're not going to be a holy people unless the Word of God is in our heart. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is true. Jesus said, now you're clean through the Word which I spoken to you. So we must be diligent about the word, but verse 13, we must be diligent about letting God search us. Police came to your house and they had a search warrant. You really can't say anything. They've got a court issued search warrant to search your house. If you have anything that could be incriminating, you're going to feel pretty bad. Amen. You know what God's saying here in verse 13? He's not giving a search warrant, but he's saying nothing's hid to God. He sees it all. We need to be diligent about our transparency before God. So he says there must be a fervent performance. Why did they drift? Why did they become doubtful? Because the Word of God lost its importance in their life. They were not laboring in the Word, and they were not being transparent about the life. But there's a third thing. Notice this. He says we must have a focused perspective. Let us fear. He said, uh, he said, let's, let's don't come short of the, of your inheritance. In chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, he said we must have a fervent performance. But notice, notice the third encouragement. Third encouragement. Look at verses 14, 15. He says, now let's be encouraged. We have a faithful priest. Praise God for that. Amen. Thank God we need to be fervent. Thank God we need to be focused. But he reminds us we have a faithful priest. Who's that faithful priest? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passing to the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, who is in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, I think Paul had to put that in there to remind us we have, a, we have more than just a high priest. We have a great high priest. The only high priest who is called great is Jesus Christ himself. He's great because he's sinless. He's great because he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He's great because when he offered his life for us, he offered his life for the sins of all mankind. The high Jewish high priest, he offered a sacrifice for the sins of the people as well as for our, his sins. But Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, had no sin. He didn't, have to, he didn't have to offer anything for himself. He came and presented himself for you and I. And so the Bible just describes him here. Notice this in verse 13, uh, verse 14. He is, he is the great high priest that's passed in the heavens. He's accomplished his purpose. He died for our sins. He's ascended to heaven, which is referenced over and over again. And there in heaven, he's at the right hand of God. He's ever living to make intercession for us. According to Hebrews 7, 24 and 25, he's praying for us. He's Jesus, the Son of God. He's Jesus, who he's already proven in chapters 1, 2, and 3. He's Jesus, who's superior to everything else. He's higher than the angels. He's Jesus, who tasted death for every man. He's Jesus, who's, who created the world. He's Jesus, who died for our sin. Jesus, the Son of God. So he talks about we have a faithful priest who is eternal, a faithful priest who's passed into the heavens. He's been, he's been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. There's no trouble. There's no problem. There's no pressure point. There's no temptation. There's nothing you've gone through that Jesus did not feel because he can sympathize with your needs and mine. He, he understands all that. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities, yet without sin. It encourages us no, our Savior never, never sinned. We have a sinless Savior there. So we can be encouraged tonight. We have a faithful priest. But he mentions a fourth encouragement. Look at verse 14. He says we must have a focused perspective. He says we must have a, we must have a fervent performance. He says we can be encouraged. We have a faithful priest. But verse 14, he reminds us we must have a firm profession. Notice what he says there. He says, now, because Jesus, we have our eyes on Jesus. That's why he tells us that in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. 
Let us hold fast our profession. People drift because they doubt what they believe. People drift because they listen to the wrong voices. People drift because they're looking at the wrong examples. Millennial preachers need to get their eyes off millennial preachers and get their eyes on the great high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why they're drifting. That's why they change their Bibles. That's why they have idea days and realize they need a God idea, not an idea day. Amen. Well, how are we going to grow our church? Through the power of God. Through the power of God. See what he tells us? Hold fast to our profession. I said this this morning. You wait and see. You wait and see. I said what I'm going to tell you right now. I've been watching things unfold the last several months. People are irritable. People are suspicious. They're antagonistic. They're attacking one another. The spirit of rebellion, and I hate to tell you this, it's permeated the Christian culture as well. Christians are going out after each other. They're doubting one another. Preachers attacking one another. Missionaries attacking churches. Churches attacking missionaries. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's not isolated. Dealt with one yesterday. Dealt with one yesterday. I have to deal with it all the time. We get falsely accused of something. We get accused of this, accused of that. And just, you know, I ignore most of that stuff anyway. I don't respond to that junk because I don't have time for that. I'm not going to get into these debates with people. If they feel that way, go on with it. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna fade out anyway. I'm just going to go on because God, God, God will demonstrate where we're at and everything. But I'm telling you this right now. I'm going to tell you this right now. You better listen to me. You're not very careful. If you don't know what you believe, you're going to be doubting whether or not this should be your church. Now, you should have no question in mind this is your church. Somebody help me with that. You'd have no question in your mind, this is your church. You should have no question in your mind that the gospel was preached here. You should have no question in your mind the word of God is preached. You should have no question in your mind about what we believe and about our doctrine. Listen, I'm going to tell you again, we're not Calvinistic. We're not, we're not charismatic. We're not any of that kind of stuff there. You say, well, pastor, you know, that's not being trendy. I'm not, in, I'm not interested in being trendy. I'm being interested in declaring the truth. We're not here to be a trendy church. We're here to be a truth church. You say, well, you know, you're going against everybody else. Well, let them go. We're going to stay with God. Amen? You need to hold fast your profession. You shouldn't be doubting whether or not do we have the inspired Word of God. Is God's Word preserved? It is preserved. I mean, you have everything you need about that. We have a more sure Word, Peter said. You shouldn't have any doubt about it. You shouldn't have any doubt about the virgin birth of Christ. You shouldn't have no doubt about the deity of Jesus Christ. You shouldn't have no doubt about the eternality of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You shouldn't be like one noted theologian who's much smarter than me, who, died, who decided one year, about in the 1980s, he decided through his study that Jesus did not become eternal until the, until the incarnation. Well, that's doctrine wrong. In fact, that's heresy. And if you write that in your books, I'm not going to recommend your books to anybody. And I don't recommend his books to anybody. Hold fast. Hold fast that church still works. Well, Pastor, you understand, church doesn't work. It works. You just have to work it. It works. You say, well, what else? We need to hold fast to soul winning. Soul winning still works. The preaching of the gospel still works. We need to hold fast till Jesus comes. He said we must hold fast our profession. I mean, that's, that's the whole Bible there. The Bible says in, in, in 2 Timothy 3.14, continue down the things which I was heard. We're to continue those things. That was one of our themes a few years ago. I'm just saying tonight, he said here, listen to me encourage you. You need to have a, you need to have a fervent performance. You need to have a focused perspective. You have a faithful priest. But hold fast. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're kind of feeling like you're drifting away and you're kind of upset... 
because we have to take your temperature at church and you're kind of you're upset that we have to have you pre-register for something or you're kind of upset that we may have require you when you come back to church one day that you've got to wear masks or you're kind of upset that we, you know, that we, we have to social distance. Well, I'm sorry about that, but you need to hold fast. You need to be careful of what voices you're listening to and what's whispering in your ear because I'm going to tell you, there's voices other than God that are talking to you and if you're listening to the wrong voices, those voices will crowd out the voice of God. Well, we got one more thing. We have one more thing. We get to verse 16. This is our theme. Paul wrote chapter 4 to encourage these believers and encourage us. Remember, they were complacent people. They drifted from the word. They were doubtful of the word. And in verse 16, you correlate this and put this together. Verse 16, there's another reason beyond their doubtfulness to the Word of God as to why they drifted and why they became doubtful. And it's right there in verse 16. We've been told, this is an exhortation now, remember verse 16. We've been told in verse 1, we must fear. We've been told in verse 11, we must labor. We've been told in verses 14, 15, we must have Jesus. We've been told in verse 14, we must hold fast. There's one more thing. There's one more thing. We must pray. We must pray. I said we must pray. That's why he gives us verse 16. Verse 16 is an exhortation. We must pray. And so, you go over here to verse 16, and he says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, verse 16 is an exhortation. It's an individual exhortation to every one of us. It's a church exhortation. It's given to the local church. He said, let us. You know what he did there? Paul said, well, i got to throw myself in the mix too because he said, my prayer life is not exactly where it needs to be too. And he says, I just want you to know I'm not above you and I'm not better than you. He says, let us. He says, let us therefore come boldly. Uh, he says, let us do that. And so we look at verse 16 again. He says, he's, he's very simply telling us that we need to come boldly to the throne of grace. And I'll explain all that in just a moment. You know what he's telling us to do? We must come to the place of prayer. Now you say, well, Pastor Fong, that sounds so simple. Well, that's a little more than that. He's talking about real prayer. He's talking about agonizing prayer. He's talking about wrestling in prayer. He's talking about importunate prayer. He's talking about asking, receiving, seeking, and finding, knocking, and shall be open you. He's talking about constant praying. He's talking about intercessory praying. He's talking about evangelistic praying. He's saying the priority of the Christian life is praying. We must come boldly before the throne of grace. So notice this, and here's my, here's my phrase I'm going to give you. When you look at verse 16, verse 16 is God giving to you and I a considerable permission. Through prayer, God is giving us permission to come into His presence. Now, I want you to fathom that for just a minute. God is giving us permission to come into His presence for prayer. God is saying, Alan Fong, I give you permission as a blood-bought child of God you can come into my presence. He says, I want you to know you are not inhibited from coming to my presence. You are not restricted from coming to my presence. He says, I want you to come into my presence. We're talking about the king of the universe, the king of heaven, giving us permission to come in. And not just permission, and I use the adjective considerable. He's giving us an extensive, uninhibited, uninhibited, an extensive opportunity to pray and come to the very presence of God. He says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Now let's look at this for just a minute. 
Let's look at it for a minute. A considerable permission means it's huge, it's open-ended, it's vast in its capacity. The first thing we find in verse 16 is a beckon, a beckon, an invitation. Let us therefore come. Now the problem for us, because it's a spiritual exercise and we're spiritually weak, we don't take up the invitation. We don't take up the invitation. It's like getting a gift card in the mail. You don't open it up. It just sits there. And it just sits there. It's got this dollar value that is useless to you because you won't come. You won't use it. You won't put it on your phone. You won't, whatever you have to do, you won't open it up. You won't exercise it. And so notice, it's a beckon. God says, where does therefore come? Throughout the Bible, God beckons us to pray. Think with me for just a minute. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I'll answer thee, and show thee great mighty things which thou knowest not. And, and you have to look at the context when that was given. That was given as a word of encouragement as, the, as, as Judah was going into captivity with Babylon. Consider Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Think with me about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 and 8. He says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Did you notice that in chapter 2, verse 1? He said, first of all, the first priority of life, the first priority of the Christian life, is we're to give ourselves to prayers, intercessions. He says here, uh, supplications, the giving of thanks for all men. He says in verse 2, for kings and for all that authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Then he goes down to verse 8. Verse Timothy 2.8, he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. There's an emphasis on men. Actually, if you look at 1 Timothy 2, he's describing the functions and duties of all men in the church. You know, men get this place that every man thinks they've got to be a teacher and they've got to they be heard. You know what the Bible tells us in James chapter 3, verse 1? My brethren, be not many teachers. You know what he tells us here in 1 Timothy chapter 2? He says, I will that men pray everywhere. Men are to pray. Men are to lead the church in prayer. Men are to be actively involved in You say, what's my part in church? Every man in church ought to pray. Listen, I want to encourage every man in our church, when we assemble, when men come forward to pray at the beginning of service, you ought to be down there praying. You say, well, people are going to be watching me. God's watching you. That's more important. You said, people are going to be watching me. I'm afraid if somebody looking at me, I'd be more afraid of the fact that there's an opportunity to pray and God's inviting me to pray and you're not praying. I would encourage ladies at home, you ought to pray. If you're at home watching by live stream, you're, not, you're inhibited to come to church. You ought to be praying for your preacher. You ought to be praying for the word of God there. It ought to be that I can pick up the phone and send a text message out and say, hey, listen, I've got a funeral. I'm praying preaching to 35 people that are unsaved, would you pray for me that God would undergird 30, a bunch of people praying for one hour that the gospel would permeate and penetrate our I'm saying it right now. He says men should pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Listen, sir, if you've got an anger problem, you've got a doubtful problem, you've got an unbelief problem, I'll tell you the cure to that. You ought to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands before God because that will cure your doubting problem. That will cure your anger problem. That will cure your wrathful problem right there. James chapter 5 verse 13 says, is any among you afflicted? You having trouble? You having difficulty? Oh, pastor. Oh, pastor. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. But are you praying for yourself? You praying for your own trial? Is any among you afflicted? That's, that's local church. That's local church. Any among you afflicted? You have anxiety disorder? You having that? The Bible says, let him pray. Let him pray. Now, do you pray? You pray continuously? You pray systematically? You pray earnestly? 
You pray with tears. You wrestle with God. You're asking for little when God says you can ask for much. There's a beckon. Notice a boldness. Not just come. Come boldly. Come unashamed. When you come, don't be ambiguous. Be specific and clear. When you come, come with courage. When you come, come with faith. When you come, come with boldness. Come with frankness. Hebrews 10.19, write that in the margin there. Hebrews 10.19, we are able to enter into the holiest of places through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know the holiest of places is for the Christian? The place of prayer. Because it's a place of battle. Satan's going to attack you if you're not under the blood of Jesus Christ there. And if you're praying and you're not being attacked, you're praying, you're not really praying. You're not really praying. I'll tell you right now, if you're not being attacked when you're praying. You're finding trouble staying awake when you're praying. You're finding, if you're, you're finding that, you're being attacked. You're finding, that, you're finding that your thoughts are incoherent, you're being attacked. I'm telling you right now, if you're not being attacked, you're praying. You're not really praying. And the devil knows that. You're not being, you're really praying. The Bible says we need to come boldly. He says here, come unashamedly, come courageously, come uninhibited. You know, here's the secret right there. Here's the secret. We've adopted this new evangelical, this meek, this new evangelical, weak, watered-down Christianity. Well, just come and have your conversation with God and talk to God like He's your big brother. God's not your big brother. He's your heavenly Father. He's your heavenly Father. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Well, you just come and, you know, you just whisper a prayer to God. You don't whisper a prayer to God. You close that door behind you, get in that prayer closet, and you have a time with God. You meet with the Lord. Well, we've got to take our day off and go over here. You know what you should do? You should take a day off and, and spend some time in prayer with God. You ought to give up sleep for a couple hours and get up a couple hours early and spend some time in prayer with God. Boldly. Let me tell you about bold praying. Bold praying is faith praying. Bold praying is mountain moving praying. Bold praying is the kind of praying Joshua did that held the sun still for one day. Joshua 10. Bold praying is the kind of praying that Daniel did that shut the mouths of the lions before he went into the den. Before he went into the den. He had no fear about that. He already knew God shut their mouths. Bold praying quenches the violence of the sword. Bold praying subdues God. By the way, can I tell you this tonight? Can I tell you this tonight? Bold praying would have cured the pandemic months ago. Yeah. Now they're talking about a mutated strain. That's Satan. He said, oh, you Christians always explain. It's Satan. Come on. Mutated strain. You know why? There's nobody praying. Who believes God can do it? Do you realize pandemics, these pestilences, they're all the hand of God upon a patient? Go back and read, read there in, 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 in first, first Chronicles about, about David, about that, pe- that, that pestilence that was sent. Both praying can open prison doors. Bold praying is the kind of praying that Elijah did when he prayed for the heavens to be shut. Listen, the Bible says, Effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. You know what that encourages me? Because you know what it says? It's saying that Elias was just as, I'm just as weak as Elias. I have the same weaknesses. And the Bible says he prayed that it might not rain. You know, when you look at 1 Kings 17, verses 1 and 2, he told that old king Ahab that as the Lord God liveth, there shall be no rain. And you know what he prayed for three years? He prayed every single day. No, God just shut the heavens. God did. God shut the heavens. God shut the heavens. 
I, I could tell you some stories about prayer. I've told this story, but I'm not going to do it now. I've told stories about my wedding day and how God held the rain for my wife and I. I mean, I, I, could, I could tell you stories just even, even the other day. It was supposed to rain. And I went out and said, now I went out and I said, Lord, now, now God, I need, to get a, I need to get a couple miles in here for running here today. And Lord, they say it's supposed to rain. I looked at the weather. It says start, start raining. It started and it stopped. And I said, Lord, now I'm stepping outside. Would you just hold the rain? You know, God held the rain for me for 45 minutes while I was out there doing my thing there. As soon as I got, got, got made it back to my porch, the rain started coming down there. I said, God, and I said, thank you, Lord. And I said, well, I'm going to test this. I said, Lord, if I go back out, will you stop it again? And as soon as I went back out, God stopped again. You know, I'm not Elias, but I'm just saying, you can get a hold of God. Get a hold of God. Oh, you look right here. Bo praying, he stopped the rain. But then Bo praying bought rain. Hey, listen, Bo, Bo, Bo praying, but listen, that's the kind of brain Jacob did. He says, I will not let you go except you bless me. Bo praying with Jabez that he said, bless me and enlarge my coast. Bo praying is what the church did in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Bo praying is praying that pleases God. Hey, listen, there's the back end, there's the bones. But notice something else in verse 12, verse 16. Notice the base. Where, is our, where are our prayers going? Now, thank God tonight, that he says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. How many glad tonight, as you're watching my live stream, how many glad tonight it's not the throne of wrath, amen? Before you get saved, it's a throne of justice. For every unsaved person who dies without Jesus Christ their Savior, one day that throne will be the great white throne judgment. But for every one of you who are saved, who are saved by grace, thank God, it's a throne of grace. It's a place where God receives us. God tells us that base there, we come received of the Lord. We come, it's a place where we're not rejected, but it's a place where we're received. It's a place where we find mercy. It's a place where we find comfort. Listen, you don't have to be afraid of the throne of God. It's a throne of grace for every child of God. It's not a place where we're hindered. It's a place where we're helped. It's not a place where we're put off. It's a place where we have permission. And so God tells us here, there's a beckon. There's a boldness. We have the base, but notice the blessing, and we're done. He says, come to the throne of grace, grace that we may obtain. Now, that's a guarantee right there. That we may obtain. That's, a, that's an assertion by God. He's going to answer your prayer. That you may obtain grace to help in time of need. Now, you know what God's telling us? It's a good thing. To be in a time of need. If you're complacent, you don't feel like you need anything. But when you're needy, and you should feel needy, you're going to be at that throne. You're going to be at that throne asking God for things you can't do. And we ought to be at the place of realizing we need to stop solving our problems and maybe ask God to give us some problems, and I've been praying for that for the church, that God would give us some problems that only God can solve. Now, you get crossways with me, you don't want me praying against you, amen? Because I'll pray for some trials in your life that you don't want, to teach you to be humble before God. And I'm telling you right now, he's saying we are, listen, you need to understand we are needy people. And don't, I'm not talking about physical, we are needy people spiritually. We need more of Jesus, amen? We need more power of prayer in our life. We need more of the Lord. So he says, in time of need. Now, I want you to understand the context here. Grace as we define it, is unmerited love. But he defines it this way in the context of prayer, grace to help. And you've heard me tell this many times, I'll tell it again. The word help in verse 16 is only found two times in the New Testament. Here, in Acts chapter 27. The word help defines these large, these large rope cables that mariners on a ship would always take on a journey when they went out to the open sea. And the reason they did that is because 
those ships made out of wood, and they were using, you know, uh, you know, tools that are not as sophisticated as today, they knew that the ships, the pounding of the water and the pushing around of the winds and the buckling of the wood going back and forth and so forth like that and, and the wood and the nails, all that being exposed out there, they just know that the wood would give way and if they weren't very careful, they could be out in a bad storm and the whole ship could come apart. So these men were trained. They would take these, these rope cables at a certain time. They were trained to go around. Then when, it, when, it, when they were in a bad storm, they would, they would wrap it around. They call it frapping. The mariners call it frapping. Look it up. They, not frappuccino. It's called frapping. Amen? It's called frapping. They would, wrap it, they would wrap it around the ship, and they would tie it very tightly so that as the pounding of the waves would happen to the ship, the ship would not fall apart. Now watch this, okay? God tells us in our time of need, when we're going through affliction, when we're going through sorrow that seems unbearable, when we're going through deep pain and we're at a place where we can't sleep at night and we don't have an appetite for something and we're very anxious and we're worried and all of these kind of things that happen, our human emotions are just very raw there. You know what God is saying there? When we come boldly to the throne of grace, we say, dear God, God, I need your help. God, I need you to do something for me. You know what God does for us? God wraps his cables of grace around us. God puts these cables around us, which is his grace. He wraps himself around us so that you and I don't fall apart. That's a blessing. Somebody help me with that tonight. That is a blessing that God can put his arms around you so that you don't fall apart at that, at that critical moment. You don't fall apart and feel like everything's going to happen. God wraps his cables of grace. You know what he's saying there? We, more than the answer to prayer that we get the physical thing we need or the emotional thing we need, the most important thing is knowing that God loves us and he wraps himself around it. So look at the context here. In Hebrews 4.16, he says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Now, I don't know about you. Mercy is love I don't deserve. Mercy is getting what I don't deserve. That we may obtain mercy. Listen, we need God's mercies in our life. When we're going through disease and sickness and problems, we need mercy. And he says that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us. That grace is God's cables that wrap itself around us. That we may find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that's a blessing. Amen. That is a blessing. Come boldly is our theme. I don't know what 2021 holds. I don't know what situation will put our backs against the wall. We don't know. But I can tell you this. The progress of things. You get lulled into a false sense of security by looking at economic indicators we need to read the Bible and to understand what's going on in our world. A good stock market doesn't mean we're living in a good world. Appreciation of your 401k portfolio does not mean that we're living in a good world. A world is coming apart at the seams. The wheels are coming off of the vehicle right now. When do you come boldly? When you come boldly for sinners to be saved. When you come boldly for God to do some things in our church. So why, why, why the theme? Because we need our church to claim Matthew 18. Where two or more are gathered together in our name. We need our church to see answer prayer like the church did in Acts 4.31 and Acts 12.5. We need our ministries revived. Running at all cylinders. Running at peak performance. And productive. We need so many a continuous occurrence. We need to get out of the box and some things we're doing and say, God, now how can you give us a situation that's 
glorifying you. We need to reach our area more with the gospel. We need thriving extension ministries. We need to make a difference on foreign soil. We just got a report the other day. I haven't even had a chance to tell the deacons, but we got a mission just came off the field. A needy area, a needy, needy country of the world. And it bothers my heart. It bothers my heart. It grieves me when a missionary comes off the field or a missionary messes up. They don't have the right mindset. They're not teachable. One of our missionaries texted Brother Justin and Brother Justin forwarded to me on Christmas Eve. It's a restrictive access nation. The woman in this nation and one of our missionaries gives us a good report. A good report all the time. All the time. Every month. More than once a month. Almost weekly, to be honest with you. A woman got saved out of the Muslim faith. Her husband said, you better change your mind or I'm filing for divorce. As that missionary was writing that text message, he said, as I write this right now, the husband's filing for divorce against his wife. This is one of two or three situations going on in their little church there in that foreign country. I can tell you this, I know enough about the missionary. He prays. He prays. I've met two men from his work. Justin and Irwin were with me there. We met two men that got saved in his ministry. They got saved out of, out of an Islamic faith and are preachers of the gospel right now. And they risked their lives going to their villages in the heart of that, that country. They risked their lives going to different places knowing that they could be killed by the Muslims there. We need to pray. We need to pray. You're going off somewhere? You better pray. You're going to make a major decision? You better pray. You want to be here at the end of 2021? You better pray. You want your life to get a jump start? You better pray. You want to stay fervent for the Lord? You better pray. You want to stay fresh? You better pray. You want your marriage? You want your marriage to survive? You better pray. You want to see somebody very hardened against the gospel get saved? You better pray. You better pray. So let me tell you quickly tonight, and then we're going to give you some things this evening. What to expect? I want to tell you, number one, our priority will continue to be Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. We're focusing on the church and the propagation of the gospel. We're not changing that. That's not going to change. The propagation of the gospel, making disciples, building the church spiritually, raising up leaders, repeating the process. That means right there, Matthew 28. Okay? We don't need to do that. But let me tell you what to expect. Number one, our theme from Hebrews 4.16, we're having a church-wide, listen to me tonight, we're having a church-wide emphasis on prayer. A church-wide emphasis on prayer. Okay? Number one, there'll be individual prayer. We're going to coach you. We're going to preach to you. We're going to help you. We're going to teach you on all different levels how to pray. I've given out, I've, and I'm thankful for it, R.A. Torrey's book, How to Pray, one of many, many books. I, I counted up. i got about 16 to 18 books on prayer. But this, this one here, I was hoping that I could find, electri- find an electronic version of R.A. Torrey's book, How to Pray. Now, I'm going to be preaching through the topics, but I'm not necessarily preaching what he wrote there. But it's a good book. I'm giving this to prayer group leaders. I'm going to talk about it in a minute that I want them to study through and to get acquainted with it. We'll be giving that out to church members to pe- for you to have. It's free. It's, a, it's an electronic book that will help you very much. But we're going to be emphasizing individual prayer, and we're emphasizing corporate prayer. Let me tell you about some things about corporate prayer. We are establishing prayer groups in the church as early as the first week of January. Now, our adult growth groups and, so, and our clubs and our discipleship, for the most part, they've already started 
Uh, they've had emotion programs. I have two or three programs I'm in right now. I'll be starting three or four more. I've, I'm doing one for several folks my wife and I have been working on and some, some groups of people we want to include. I'm starting a couple new men's one for some men. I'm working on some men's prayer groups there, okay? We're, we're doing this for many reasons, but we're having an emphasis for prayer groups. Now, uh, my goal and desire for that is we're going to have prayer groups throughout the, throughout the, 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 the year. We're going to unfold them. We're not going to do like a 24-hour prayer chain yet. We're going to get close to there maybe. But we want to try to encourage everyone in the church to be involved with at least in one or more prayer groups. So I talked to our clubs and our staff and members who already have prayer teams already going on. But we're going to establish prayer groups. And here's what's going to happen. You can go to our website. On our website at hbc.org, we're going to have, as you scroll to the bottom, we're going to have a, we're going to have a page there where you can, you can sign up for a prayer group. Now, the prayer group times will be as follows. Monday night, we want that to be strictly individual and or family prayer time. I want you to start the week off focusing on your own prayer time. We know to have some structure. So Monday, you focus on yourself and your family prayer time. We'll help you through that, okay? Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, and Saturday night, we'll have prayer times. Now, this is the start. This is not just, so don't, don't feel bad if these don't fit your time. We're going to unveil some more, but we're just trying to get the church started. So we're going to have prayer times probably, probably as follows. You're going to see as you go on there, you'll have prayer times at 7, 7 o'clock, 7.30, 8 o'clock on those evenings of Tuesday, Thursday, and, and, uh, and Friday. We may include a couple more times, like around 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock in the afternoon for some people. We probably will include one early, a couple of early morning prayer times. We're going to have what I call prayer group leaders. They will be co-hosts. There will be, be two men or two ladies leading these, these groups there. They basically will be there. These, this is not, let me tell you this, prayer times are not fellowship times. Prayer times are not another church service. We're conscientious of everyone's time. We're conscientious of groups there. So we're trying to keep them within 20 minutes or so. So the co- one of the co-hosts will, will welcome you there. You'll sign up for this prayer time. So let me use an example. Maybe I'll use Brother Tony Gurra. Brother Tony Gurra, let's just say he signs up for a Tuesday night, 7 o'clock prayer time. He'll sign up for that prayer time. And so the prayer group leader, let's just say it's Brother Dave Lau, happens to be the prayer group leader. Brother Dave Lau will send out to everyone who signed up for that 7 o'clock time. He'll send out a Zoom link to them. They are to come on right at 7. We're not going to wait 15 minutes for you to show up. You've got to come on right at 7. They're going to, the, the co-host will lead that time. Let's say it's Brother Justin's the co-host. Brother Justin will lead, start the prayer time off by reading a scripture verse, giving a word of encouragement. He'll have prayer, prayer requests already ready to give out to people. And so let's say we have seven people, that seven men that have signed up for that prayer time. The host will greet them. They'll come on. Every one of those men, every one of those men will be given two or three prayer requests and then they'll go straight through it and pray at that time. Now, we set it for 20 minutes knowing that it might go longer, and so we'll give some margin there, but we just want to be careful that it doesn't become another church service or becomes just a, you know, becomes a burden to people because we realize people's schedules when they come home are very busy. We're trying to keep it on 20, 25 minutes or so, knowing we'll have some overage there. We have a co-host because the co-host will want to make sure that if we hit those time limits, that if it goes longer... If they sense the Spirit of God is moving, they'll just keep on praying. But if they sense there's just you know, a little bit of urgency that people need to end off, they need to get off, then the, the co-host will end it off at, at a certain time so that the people can get off and get back to what they're doing. And, we, and we'll work off through this. We feel that probably the first three or four weeks, it's, just, it's kind of being a learning process for all of us to kind of figure out what's going on. We'll be accumulating reports, things of that nature. But our prayer groups, we want everyone involved in a prayer group because we want everyone praying, men with men, ladies with ladies. 
uh, maybe in a very rare situation, we may, may have uh, husbands and wives and, and small teams praying together. But right now, men with men, ladies with ladies. Now, there could, be, there could be as many as five prayer groups going on on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. There could be as many as five prayer groups going on on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. There could be as many as five prayer groups going on at 8 o'clock. You sign up for one, we'll assign you to a prayer group as best we can to link you up with people very similar in personality so forth like that. We want you in a prayer group. Now, in that prayer group, if you can, you're going to go to these prayer groups and you're going to hit that click that button there. As you click that button, you just basically sign up. You're going to indicate your name, which prayer time you feel works best for you, and uh, any other needs that we have there, and then we'll, 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 then we'll get you assigned there. You said, what about the prayer request? Well, a couple things. We want you to submit prayer requests during the week to the church so we can get those to the prayer group leaders. In lieu of that, we're going to use the prayer page. We're going to bolster the prayer page a little bit. With the prayer page, we have everything listed there. The church prayer page we use on Wednesday night. We have our church ministries listed there. We have our missionaries listed there. We have uh, pastors of the week and missionary of the week. We have health needs in town, health needs out of town, people looking for jobs. We have salvation needs. And so we have everything there. So let's just say using that Tuesday night prayer group, if Brother Lau is, is leading that, he might just say, okay, tonight we're going to pray for our missionaries and restricted access nations. And so let's say he's got seven men on there. He's going to sign probably two missionaries per man or one missionary per man to pray for them. He says, let's pray for them. He'll say something like this. He'll read a scripture there to them that we've assigned to all the prayer group leaders. And basically he'll read a scripture and he'll say, okay, uh, he'll say, Brother Justin, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for, I want you to pray for this missionary over here in this particular country, and let's say it's Chris Reed in Thailand. He says, I want you to pray for Brother Reed. Let's pray for the ministry there, that the Bible college will expand, and let's pray for the ministry there, that God will bless with more souls being saved, or the training of preachers. So that's what Brother Justin will pray for. So every person will have one or two specific requests to pray for. We're not going to ask you to pray open-endedly, because that could go on forever. Okay? And so we want, you to, we want you to pray specifically for things. We want to get right into our praying, and right into that thing, so you pray for that, that situation. One week we'll focus on missionaries. The next week we might focus focus on our church ministries. Another week, we'll focus on evangelistic praying. With evangelistic praying, we're going to be signing names of unsaved people. It might be your unsaved family members. We're going to ask you to pray for, okay? So we're going to be sensitive to those things. We're going to be sensitive to your prayer requests. We know that some things may come up, and prayer group leaders will be we're giving instructions this week about what to get back to me on so we know how to handle some of these things. But all we're trying to do right now is get everybody involved. We believe prayer groups will be entry level for people new to the church. That's something they can get assimilated into to join a prayer group. And they can make some friendships outside their prayer group there. But we're not using the prayer group for fellowship time or information gathering or information dissemination. It's purely for a time of prayer where we plead the blood of Jesus Christ upon every person and ask for God to do things. Now, with that, a lot of our praying will be based on what I call evangelistic praying. Evangelistic praying is where I'm going to have a focus on a lot of our praying for the prayer of lost people. Now, at least my second thing. We're going to have prayer groups. My second thing is we're praying for, we're praying for God to do something great in terms of prospects. So let me, the, pro, the propagation of the gospel. So let me talk about that for just a minute. I'll come back to prayer groups. As you sign up for the prayer groups, you're also going to have an opportunity in that same area. There will be a prospect form. I want every church attendee and member to seriously take that prospect form and to consider people that you're burdened for to see their salvations. So you're going to write down on there, you're going to fill out that form. It's all electronic. The, everything you're filling out is electronic. It's on the website. It'll be kept confidential. It'll go on there. You'll put, you know, here's the name of the person. Here's how I know them. Maybe you have more than one. You can do more than one. And you'll indicate to us that they're unsaved. We want to know, are they in the area or out of the area, just so we know how to pray for it and to be strategized with it. 
And then you're going to submit that. We're going to keep a master prayer list of all the unsaved people. With your permission, we'll put it on the prayer page. If you don't want a prayer page, we won't put it on there. But I'll keep a master list that I'm going to be reviewing weekly with staff members for prayer and strategy and how we're going to reach them. Let me tell you something today. We're going to do different. I want you to have a burden for unsaved people and family members that we're strategically going to go after with the gospel. I have a plan for going after them with the gospel. I want to get their names on there. I want us to pray down barriers in their hearts. I want us to pray for these people to get saved. I, I want you to think about the hardest sinner you know of that we're going to pray for, for God to break down the barrier of sin in their heart, for God to do some great things. Now, I believe this. I believe a church that's praying for a hardened sinner, that God can do something there. That's what I really believe. I believe God can, and I believe God will. And I believe God can break down their heart. You say, well, that person might be reprobate. That may be according to us, but I believe God said, call unto me and I'll answer thee and show thee great mighty things, which thou knowest not. Amen? So I'm praying that God will do things like that. So we're praying for advantage and praying. So these prayer groups, this is something everyone can be involved with. Like I said, in the beginning, you're going to see limited prayer times because we're just trying to work out through things and we want to get everybody involved. And then after a week or two goes by, we're going to add some more prayer times. And we want you to stay in this prayer group for an entire month. So again, using my example, Brother Lau leads a group. Tony Gura joins it. We want Brother Tony to stay in that prayer group for the entire, that entire month. My, my wife might lead a prayer group. And so my wife will have a prayer group with some ladies. We're asking the ladies who join, who are part of that prayer group to stay with it for an entire month. We will have at the end of the month, at the end of January, an opportunity for you to sign up for a new prayer group. If you want to sign up for the new prayer group, that's fine. A new different prayer time, whatever there. Maybe your job schedule changes or your children's schedule changes. You need another prayer time. We'll give you that opportunity so you, so you don't feel uh, that you have that sense of flexibility. But we're going to make it flexible so that you have prayer time. Now, here's where I want to go with this. I envision as we get into a few months into this, we're going to have lots of prayers. You know what I like to see? I like to see about 200 prayer groups in our church. I like to see about 200 prayer teams praying throughout the week in our church. English, Chinese, Spanish, whatever language it may be. I want to see God doing some great things. Now, we're not filling up space and we're not wasting time. We're being in business with God. We talked about Hebrews 4.13 accountability. I'm having high accountability on these prayer groups. I'm running them tightly. This is serious business. This is the one thing that could change our church and change our area and change the world. I'm not worried about what everybody else, I'm not worried about what everybody else's theme is or what they're doing. I'm more concerned what Heritage Baptist Church is doing. This is the flock I'm responsible for. This, our destiny as a church will be determined this year by our seriousness in going to God in prayer. Now, you say, what if I don't want to join a prayer group? We're not going to force you. I'm going to encourage you, but I'm not going to force you. But there's some things that have to change. I said that this morning. There's some things that have to change. And so we're going to have prayer groups and prayer teams you're going to be a part of there. And we, we want it to grow. And we're going to be talking it up. We're going to be talking up all through the year. You're going to hear messages on prayer and things that are going to challenge you in your faith. So we want everyone to be involved with the prayer group. We want everyone to submit prospects. You're going to refresh those prospects to people, okay? Now, I talked about propagation. Number two, because I've got to go through this quickly and then we're going to get going, okay? We're going to keep organizing so winning. We're going to expand HBC Cares. We're excited what God's done through HBC Cares. The prospects we have on higher levels, I'm very excited about. But we want to go beyond that. We, we want to see um, more services planned for outreach, and we're planning for that. We want um, you as church members who have unsaved family members to see them get saved next year. And not only get saved, but get them into the church. And not only get them to church, I want to see them baptized. 
I want to personally see them get baptized. I need to hear an amen on that. I'm planning through Zoom of helping our family. In fact, a family I saw this morning, I said, hey, I got a contact this week. We're going to coordinate with them through Zoom, reaching some of their, a large number of their family members in a foreign country. We're reaching, we have folks who are watching, probably watch right now, in different states. Right now, we're going, to have, we're going to try to reach out through them. And if I can get enough audience, I'll even fly up there when it's a little bit safer to fly. I'll fly out there, survey the area, see if we can even start an extension ministry there. Because I tell you, we've got an audience of people watching us by live stream. I've contacted them every Saturday. Hey, I want to see you there. They're from different areas. They just, this is their church, and they want to be part of that there. So we're going to, just kind of studying that. We're not going to be inhibited. I, I'll tell you right now, I've got some, we've got members that drive anywhere from you know, 30 minutes or more out, we're, we're studying those areas to see if we can extension ministry start in each of those areas and at least at a minimum get them to join a Zoom group or to have them watch us by live stream and get that going there as, a, as kind of our entry level. And then from there, we're going to be looking at starting whether or not we can start extended Bible studies when it's safe to meet in person again for people. I mean, just things like that. We're looking at the propagation of the gospel. I, listen, I, I've said this before. This church is not going to be an event center church. It's going to be an evangelistic center church where our emphasis is on reaching souls and the culture of our church is going to be a soul winning culture. Not that it's not already, not that you're not doing it, but we want to embrace it. We want to be living, breathing, thinking about winning souls to Christ. More focus on training soul winners, enhanced utilization of social media, all that. Okay? So, number one, prayer. Number two, propagation. Quickly, plant and seed. Number three. I'm studying the usage of extension ministry of touching more lives and reaching more people. In Petaluma, we did one with the Perez family last year, in 2019. We held a meeting in their backyard. They had about 35, 40 people come. We had about, I don't remember the number, Brother Justin probably correct me on this, but I think we had somewhere between 15 and 20 people that came, heard the gospel, and got saved. Some of them have come back, come to our church. They've driven down from Petaluma to our church. We came back later in the year on around our friend day time, did another one. We had another seven or eight people saved. We've got a nucleus of people. Right, hey, right there, i got an extension ministry I could start on a weekly basis, probably around anywhere from a low of 10 to as many as probably 30 people we could establish. I'm trying to study that whole area, that quarter of 101. Now, I'll tell you, that quarter of 101, it's a tough area. You go from Marin all the way up there, all the way up to Santa Rosa, that's a tough area. It's, it's an area that needs the gospel very desperately. But I'm, I've been praying over that area. I pray for all these cities. And we're praying that God's going to do something. I'm going to lead our church in praying for all of our cities of the Bay Area. I'm not excluding any of them. I've been praying about certain cities in the South Bay, cities up on the West Contra Costa Quarter. I'm praying about cities up here in our, our east of us here. And uh, some areas maybe 30 minutes away, 60 minutes away, about God doing some things there. So we're praying We're praying for God to help us to plant and see, and see these extension ministries. Perhaps that they, you know, I, I, what I'm thinking is that if you plant, if you start anywhere from 5 to 10 extension ministries, one of them is going to take off. That one that's going to take off might be the potential for for a church plant for our church then fourthly i want you to think with me and pray with me about our positioning we've got to get ministries restarted but we've got to get them restarted correctly correctly okay so we're going to reposition and as we get ready for this i'm going to give in some cases a 30 to 60 day lead time for starting i'll give you one i'm praying about right now I'm very burdened about maybe at a minimum for our music ministry of maybe getting our orchestra and choir back to have a meeting with them. And the first, the first phase of that might be I might ask the orchestra to come back together with social distancing just with our wind instruments. 
just with our with our wind. I'm mean, up wind. Our, our our you know our string instruments. Excuse me, our string instruments. Wind instruments will wait because there's blowing and things like that. But we'll have the string instruments. I might have them start off and piano. We may start off with live special music that you can you can watch on live stream and and view. And then maybe from that we'll see if we can get a few of the choir members who feel safe about it. We can do it in a safe environment. We might try to do one special number at a time to try to work. Again, I want to be conscientious of health and all those kind of things. So we'll work through that. And just trust me. Well, whatever I lead you to do, we will do it safely. We're not going to do anything to jeopardize anybody's health there. So I know you're getting a little nervous about that. But we're not going to do anything to jeopardize people. But our positioning is important here now. Because here's what John said in Revelation chapter 3. He says, he says, he talked about things ready to die and to strengthen the things that remain. Now, there's a number of ministries I'm very, very burdened for about our church that as we get them started, we're going to lead them back. Some people are not going to, may decide they want to, may not want to be involved. That's fine. But if you're going to be involved, you have to have a soul in his heart. If you're going to be involved, you better be part of a prayer, prayer group, and, and there has to be some changes there. And so there are going to be some very high standards we're going to have with that. We're going to see new people get involved. I have some of our newer, newer members just anxious to get involved with things. We're going, to, we're going to study these things. We're going, to, we're going to plant. We're going to seed. We're going to, we're going to position ourselves to get ready. And with 30 to 60 day lead time, we'll get everybody ready for those times. We're going to pray over that and pray for God to position our ministries. I just don't want to see our ministries resume for the sake of resuming. There needs to be change. Listen, every adult growth group needs to be productive and growing. Every growth group needs to be productive and growing. Every discipleship, in fact, we're going to change discipleship somewhat. Discipleship is going to be different. Our so many training is going to be different. Everything is going to be different about what we're doing. There's going to be enhanced leadership going on. I may change a little bit our format a little bit on how I do Wednesday nights and Sunday nights a little bit where there's a little bit more training involved there. You may see me every now and then come out of the pulpit. I'll have somebody else preach so I can spend some time with some core men and training them. Or I may take some core couples and I may be training them, spending some time there. But we're going to have a conscientious time. I might even start up our Bible, so we start our Bible Institute and run our Bible Institute on Wednesday nights simultaneous with, our, with that and a couple other times. And we'll have, we'll, bring, bring, we'll have a module kind of model for our Bible Institute. Well, I'll bring preachers in. They'll spend a whole week with me and they'll put probably 30 hours there and just training, going through a particular topic there. And they'll preach Wednesday night for us and then we'll let them go for that week. But that'll probably ingrain somebody very thoroughly in a particular doctrine, whatever may be there. So again, we're looking at our positioning. We're going to position ourselves to making sure that all of our ministries restart. Fifthly, we're going to do a pay down. Now, we didn't do it this year, but we do need to focus on the fact we do have this, this building debt. And I want to thank God's people tonight for being faithful in your giving. I want to encourage you next year to be faithful again your preach in your giving, your tithing, your faith promise missions, all of that. But we do need to have, we do need to be conscientious that we have building debt, that I want to make sure we accrue money, that we're positioned and ready to pay down. I want you to pray with me about the pay down of our debt. When the right time comes, we want to be ready to pay down our debt. I want us to get in that position. Now, with that being said, I want you to think about number six. Number six, I want you to think with me about our property. Now, it's expensive to keep our property up, but we have to keep it up. We want a good testimony with our buildings. We've had lost people that have come on our property for some reason or other, and they see, and it's kind of like the Queen of Sheba. They came, and they could not believe what they saw in this little piece of property. So number one, we have to keep maintenance up. One of the big things I'm concerned with, we're probably not going to do it next year, but I'm going to be studying the main building, which needs a major facelift internally and externally. I'm kind of studying that building. We'll be talking with our architect, spending a little bit of money next year on this, and looking at our building, uh, uh, the main building in terms of just getting maximizing functionality out of that building. It was not built for a church. It was built as a welding training school. We're going to
going to revisit that. I'm going to see how far we can go with that building. We've got to get things up, up to speed. And, you know, we need heating, HVAC, things like that. Just a number of things we need on that building that, me, that bring it up to speed there. So we're going to be looking to spend a little bit of money for that. But I'm also looking at the fact down the pipeline, somewhere down the line, maybe another five to ten years from now, when the church is back on a growth mode, that maybe even seven to ten years down the line, and just casting some plans so we're ready to perhaps build out a new auditorium. And that might be the, the source for the new auditorium there. I'm studying, and I shared it with some of our men. I'm studying two, maybe three pieces of property right now. I am personally praying for that God would give us those properties. I'm praying about a property here, property over there. I'm praying about another property not far from here. I'm not praying for us to buy those properties. I'm praying for God to give us those properties. Multi-million dollar properties. I'm praying for that. You don't have to pray for that, but I'm praying for that. I'm praying for God to do some things that just help us to understand. It has to be God that does it. I'm praying for God to do something. I've been praying this year for our, our, our missionary, Brother Ted Mung. He's in a restricted access nation. I should have gave, brought a picture to show you. Brother Ted and I prayed this summer. You just hit a hard spot. He said, Pastor, we're not growing. I, just, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. We had prayer. We met, we met for prayer by uh, electronic means, securely. Gave him a few ideas. Just sent me his Christmas, his Christmas service. They had 20-plus people in his church, and they're growing. They're growing. Ten are adults, ten are children. You know where he gets the Sunday school curriculum? Our YouTube at HBC Cares. Teaching English to those kids. We'll have them watch Sunday school. That's a blessing, amen? Who would have thought YouTube at HBC Cares would have a worldwide influence, amen? Who would have thought that? I mean, things like that. Okay? So... As we look at that, I want you to think with me about property and pray with me about that. I'm just concerned that we just need to be thinking about the future and things like that. And then lastly, I want you to pray with me about possibilities. I'm thankful for our GLOW ministry, but I think our GLOW ministry, as we get through this pandemic, will go further. I'm praying for Saturday and Sunday afternoon Bible clubs because we have a lot of people not serving. I think a bunch of you not serving could do a Sunday afternoon Bible club. Yeah, I do. I think we could do probably Bible clubs like they do in the Philippines and in Mexico. And uh, reaching a few more people. I'm praying for weekday opportunities we can serve God. I'm praying about homeschool umbrellas. I'm praying about restructuring, again, the Sunday evening, Wednesday night for better training, things like that. Just, there's a lot of things. I don't want to just bear you down with these things, but I just want you to know we're, we're thinking about training, discipling, equipping, the power of God, winning souls, extension ministries, starting churches. You say, wow, that's a lot. That's what a New Testament church is supposed to be doing. Amen? That's what you're supposed to be doing as a church. But how's that all going to happen? Well, it begins with prayer. I'm not going to have us go out and do a bunch of activities if we're not praying about it. I mean, we know we can do things, but we know, but we just understand we need God to do some things. We need God to work on our behalf. So what does that mean? Well, as I close, you need to humble yourself, and I need to humble myself. We need to confess to God we've been trying to do everything in our power when we need the power of God. That's what we need to do. We need to humble ourselves. We need to say, God, here am I. Use me. We need to say, Lord, Help my prayer life. My prayer life needs to change. Everybody should feel tonight that your prayer life needs to change. Our theme this year is come boldly. Come boldly. My next message I'll preach from 1 John 4 talks about having boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Come boldly. Would you come boldly to the throne of grace? Would you come boldly to God to do something great in your life? Would you come boldly and expect God to work in your behalf? He will and he can. Let's bow our heads for prayer.